Imagine a world where men stepped up and answered God's call to reach their full potential. Imagine a world where men put their faith and trust in God unwaveringly and without qualification. Imagine a world where men lived out God's purpose for them in everything they do. It's not my credit to take explores the awe and wonder of how God shows up in the lives of strong, principled Christian men from all walks of life. Get ready to laugh, to cry, and to be transformed. I'm your host, Dr. Ed Slover, faithful husband, loving father, loyal friend, and unapologetically Christian. Welcome to the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast. Brent, how are you today, sir? Great, Ed. It's good to see you again. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for being here. My guest today is Brent Dallin. I first met Brent through a podcasting platform called Podmatch and recently had a chance to be a guest on his show called The Fallible Man Podcast. He also owns a business by the same name where he demonstrates an unwavering commitment to empowering men on their journey of growth and transformation. Brent is uncompromising in his belief that men are not mere spectators in society, but rather they are the architects of change on a global scale. He says that within each man lies an untapped reservoir of skills, talents, and purpose yearning to be nurtured and brought forth. I fully embrace and echo that sentiment. And the name of his business and podcast, The Fallible Man, speaks to the idea that a man is unafraid of his fallibilities, a man embraces his imperfections, and a man is forever propelled by an insatiable desire for improvement. Through this, a man is dedicated to embodying the man he was destined to become. Brent's been married to his wife, Sarah, for 22 years, and together they have two kids. Brent, welcome to the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast. Hi, Ed. I'm, I'm excited for the conversation. And man, I'm just going to start letting you write my copy for my own bio. <laughs> you make me sound pretty good. I appreciate that. I, I, I took it straight from your website, so you actually, <laughs> actually right. most of the copy. I'm just, I'm just plagiarizing at this point. I, I write so much copy across so many platforms at this point that it's really... Honestly, it's hard, it's hard to keep up with anything I wrote over three months ago. Uh, well, it turned out your much. website turned out really nice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's too funny. So tell us a, a little bit more about your background and how you ended up where you are in your life. Oh, wow. Uh, that's a really long story. So I'll try and, I'll try and hit the cliff notes version. Uh, I am a born and raised domestic missionary minister's son. Uh, I think that's the easiest way to say that. My father worked specifically with small congregations that were recovering from either the death of a longtime pastor or a split or an unexpected vacancy. Uh, and so we were often at congregations with anywhere from you know, 100 to 50 people. Hmm. all over the country. So we moved on average every three years. And uh, through that, I, I got to see a lot of the country. That was very cool. Uh, one of the advantages, Nick, we moved second only to military families generally. And so that's, that's the life I grew up in with the influence. I have very uh, Christian godly parents that I adore. My father passed about two years ago. My mother still lives with us. And they have been a huge influence on my life. But I took some turns along the way because I saw the writing on the wall. Like everybody thought I was going to become a minister. And I mean, it, it was, it became almost 
painful. Well, I won't, I won't lie. It, it became painful because everybody's like, oh, chip off the old block because I started working in youth ministry. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're going to be just like your dad. And I was horrified by that idea. Right? I did not want that life. I lived that life my whole life. And so I ran away to the military. Jonah had a big fish. I had the United States Air Force. Mm. Uh, the short version is I survived a year. And that's the best way to put it. I survived a year. I had a military psychiatrist towards the end of my term in say, wow, you hit every branch of the tree on the way down, didn't you? I've never wow. seen a portfolio where you've had so many problems from day one. I, I started having problems the first week of boot camp. And so uh, that radically changed my life because I got myself in this huge hole. I got into special forces training and I got injured. And that injury became a medical experiment because they didn't understand it. I got hooked on drugs. I was drinking all the time. And I ended up being bounced out of the military for failure to complete alcohol rehabilitation because I wouldn't go because I wasn't an alcoholic. I had a drug issue at that point because of the painkillers they had me on for the injuries. But I didn't have a drinking problem. My drinking problem was because not being sober was the only way I didn't kill my commanding officer. Oh, wow. I had a lot of anger issues and everything kept spiraling. But honestly, I went there to run away from God's plan for me. And so one night after they called me into the office and said, the building at this base where they were doing your out processing paperwork burned to the ground with all your paperwork in it. You got to start over. Oh, uh. I went out to the woods that night with a bottle of tequila and said, okay, God, get me out of this or I'm taking me out of this. I'm done. And I'd already tried to kill myself once. I uh, was seeing a psychiatrist for that. And so amazingly, two days later, they had me on a bus on the way home, even though my paperwork burned to the ground. Wow. But it was when I finally hit my knees and said, okay, God, I did this. Get me out of here. I'll go wherever you want. And about three years later, I ended up as a paid youth minister in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, the three years before that, two years before that, I spent working in volunteer youth ministry with a very large youth group at about 100 kids and a team of about seven people who worked with them all the time. So I worked a full-time job, and my wife and I both worked with the youth ministry team. So I went into ministry for a few years, uh, left that, felt like God was fine with me leaving ministry, I had done what he needed me to do there, but it ended very badly at that congregation, a lot of hurtful feelings. And so there was a rift between me and God for several years. I didn't realize how bad it was. It, it took about seven years of just quietly sitting in the background at church and being nurtured before I realized just how angry I was and bitter about everything and started actually consciously start to heal. And so that fast forwards us through, we're jumping through a lot of years here Yeah. to about three and a half years ago, I started feeling that keen prodding again. Mm -hmm. And it's like, whoa, 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 God, we're, we're finally on good terms again. I, I go to church, you know, I help out with the sound booth. I'm, you know, but whoa, God, we're, but I felt that very familiar. It was like, this is where we're going, Dallin. And I couldn't run away. I didn't want to do it. 
I couldn't run away because now I have family and I know exactly how badly that went for me the first time. It's all on me. But there was a lot of tears, a lot of anger, a lot of frustrations. Like, why me, God? Why? And out of that, the fallible man was born. I just couldn't escape it. This is very clearly the direction. Now, the fallible man is not a religious based podcast. Uh, I believe that the direction God put in my life is to create a platform to support men and encourage men because I think we can change the world more effectively that way. But yeah. not every man is ready to go from, I don't have a relationship to God with God to, I believe in God and we're good now, right? There's got to be someone in the middle of ground to help foster that relationship. So in what I do, I also help men nurture that because once you start to understand you have a purpose, you were born intentionally for a purpose, for a design. The next logical question is, well, if there was a point behind it all, who put that together? How, how did that happen? And uh, three years later, here we are. So I'm curious. So you referenced three and a half years ago, the fallible man was, was born. You were basically being poked and prodded and tugged you know, by God to do this. And leading up to that, you had gone through a period where you had really reconnected with, with him yeah. in many ways. You sort of, you know, closed, you know, closed the, the, the gap there, you know, repaired the rift in that moment. How were you able to reconcile that, that poking and prodding wasn't being done to you, but it was actually being done for you? Well, see, I, I have a secret advantage. Not everybody has growing up a minister's kid growing up specifically a missionary minister's kid. I have unshakable intellectual faith. Mm -hmm. uh, I have just, I have seen God act so clearly in the lives of my parents in the lives of my sibling, but also just in the lives of people that my dad got to work with and we encountered over the years. Right. I mean, I visibly, I remember we had, I was, I was six. We had a member of our church who had helped build the church building we were in. And he just, he was stricken with cancer very suddenly, very aggressively. And I remember the elders of that church praying over his bed in the hospital for a miracle. And I remember playing with Jack for years after that. The doctors said it was done. It was over. Right. Yeah. I had seen God's actions. And so these, for lack of a better term, tiffs I've had with God over the years, I never once questioned that God was there. I never once questioned that God had a plan. I was just mad because it wasn't my plan. Yeah, right. <laughs> I it was his plan. That's right. Right. And so all through my time, like when I was struggling in the military, injury, drugs, alcohol, uh, psychological health, depression, uh, suicide attempts. I never once questioned whether God was there. I was just being a little brat. Uh, my wife likes to tease me about being a brat. I was being a brat. I literally knew it was like, I could visualize God standing behind me with his arms folded going like a dad going, 
I'm right here. I'm right here. Come on. Come on. And me just sitting there, arms crossed, eyebrows curls. Like nope, a petulant child. Way. Right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yep. And so all along, I've never not felt the presence of God and the connection of God. It was always me going, no, I'm not going to do it, God. You can't make me. I'm not going to do it. Right? Uh, God, God's paid me back. I have two of them now. And they definitely are very opinionated. I'll, I'll tell a story about my oldest one. You'll love this. When she was tell me. barely walking, right? We had put uh, one of the baby barriers because we have our living room, then a double door entry into the dining room kitchen area. Okay. We had put a gate across there and she hated that. Right. So I'm sitting in the living room with her and my wife is in cooking dinner and she wants to go where mom is. And she goes over and starts shaking the gate in a temper tantrum. I was like, mm. I want in. Right. I was like, no. And she looked at me and shook the gate some more. So I walked over and I, I you know, just tapped her a little hand and she turned and just glared at me. Looked me square in the eye and took the gate and just shook the living daylights out of it with her hand. She <laughs> so I reached over and I slapped her hand a little harder, said, no. And with a little tear running down her cheek, she stared me down and shook the gate even more violently. <laughs> she by was having third, none of it. Yeah. By the third time I just picked her up and took her back to the couch, but it was like, oh my goodness, you're my child. Ironically, a couple days later, she was sitting leaning against that doorway when we didn't have the fence there. We didn't think anything about it. She was sitting where she could see both rooms because we were separated. Uh, and she sat there and she hand unscrewed an eye bolt that I had set in the wall. Like just <laughs> threw her hand behind her and unscrewed the eye bolt. <laughs> I was like, wow. oh, wow, you are my child. This is going to be a long, long 18 plus years, right? Uh, so, you know, all along I've seen it and this time around, that's, it's like, I knew I couldn't run because I knew I've run away from God. That went badly. My life was a train wreck. I can't take my wife and kids into that. Yeah. But it was unmistakable for me because I had finally started to heal from, uh, the fallout of my last church that I worked with. And heal those wounds and get back to where I enjoyed being in the assembly again and worshiping God. And, and I could feel that connection again. And I was like, okay, God, we're, we're back in a good place. I'm back in a good place. I like this. I I'm just here taking care of my family and going through life. And it was just like unmistakable. It's like, Hey Brent, come on. It's time to go again. I was like, yeah. no, 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 no. It's like, no, nope. you're shaking the gate, Brent. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. You know, it was, I, and, and this is why you have to be careful. Gentlemen, ladies, gentlemen, you have to be really careful. Sorry. If I say gentlemen a lot, I talk to guys mostly, but this is where you have to be careful years ago, years and years and years ago, when I was still very young, in my faith and youth ministry, I told God, I promised God, as long as he gave me the energy to keep moving, I would keep moving forward no matter what. I would keep stepping. I would keep going until he decided I was done. Uh, and I mean, years later, so I'm still working with a youth rally 
16, almost 17 years later. And let me tell you, at 43, those three-day youth events where you're sleeping on the floor and doing 20-hour days as a director, so much harder than they used to be when I was in my 20s. No, there's no doubt. And it's and I crashed for like two days after the event too, still. But, you know, we get through that event and me and my co-director have been working on this together. He's been doing it longer than I have. He brought me on to work with him. And it's like both of us are in our 40s. We're both dead afterwards. But it's like, okay, God, we said we'd go. We yeah. said we'd do this. As long as you keep us upright, we keep moving. And so that's when the fallible man came along. There was a lot of kicking and screaming and whining and crying, <laughs> but it was just unmistakable. I've always known. I could always hear it when God wanted my attention. I'm just stubborn and petulant. So it's. Yeah. One, one of the things that occurs to me is that whenever we have recognition for something, we can either lean into it and address whatever we need to address, whether it's a tug from God or working through past pain or trauma. I mean, really, whatever it is, the other, the other option is we can live willfully ignorant. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't seem like much of a choice at that point. And I know whenever I've gone through those moments where God's, you know, pulling and tugging and it's just like, ugh, I, I don't, I don't feel like doing this right now, God. I, I mean, just gosh darn it. I just don't feel like it. But it's it's freeing, isn't it, in the moment to at least have the awareness that, okay, I'm just simply feeling sorry for myself. And if I don't lean into this, whatever is being done for me, then it's going to end badly. <laughs> well, we, we missed one of the most important lessons from the story of Jonah. Right. This is something I, I know as a youth minister, I never put any time into it. And I've, I've known so many ministers in my life. One of the most important takeaways from Jonah that we almost always miss. Right. God gives us free will. Right. That's but God is still in control. So if God decides he's going to use us. We have two options. Because Jonah still got to Nineveh. Right. So. It's, we go the easy way or, or we take the whale, but we still end up in the same place eventually. <laughs> I, mean, I fought kicking and screaming and almost destroyed my life entirely in the military. Still ended up in paid ministry. Still ended up in volunteer ministry, right? Ministry didn't go anywhere. It just waited a little longer for me, right? But I still got there. I have the scars emotionally and physically to prove it, but it, it was... Jonah still got to Nineveh. He could have just gone, right? Yeah. He could have taken the easy way. Instead, God created a fish, stuck him in a fish for three days until Jonah decided, hey, maybe there are better options. And he still got there, right? And God knew he would go that way. God knew that I would go that way. But sometimes God goes, okay, well, we're going to use this time to prepare you right for a much bigger picture. Yeah. I'm, I'm really big into uh, history and culture. When I study the Bible, I believe that having that understanding to the relevant culture and history going on in that time period is, is very valuable. And one of the things is Nineveh worshiped a fish God. 
Well, what we know from modern science, because we've had people swallowed by fish, and this was a special fish that God created according to the Bible, yeah. but we know that you smell like fish, we know your hair falls out, and you start to look like a kind of fish person. So when Nineveh was approached by this person that looked like a mer person without a tail, it was a half version of their deity, hmm. right? The people of Nineveh could have killed him coming through the gate. And if he had been anybody else, if he had looked like you and me, they might have. Nineveh was not a nice place. The Assyrians who, yeah, Nineveh was not a nice place. There's a reason Jonah didn't want to go there. None of the Israelites went to Nineveh ever. And so, but what happened? Well, God not took the opportunity and said, okay, well, now you're going to pass through those gates even easier because people are going to go have to scratch their head because you actually resemble the deity that the Assyrians out of Nineveh worshiped at the time. Yeah. Right. You don't just get to the king because you ask nicely. You certainly don't get there because you say, oh, well, I'm a prophet for another belief. But God got him through the gates, right? Yep. Going through what I went through in the military, it shaped my life radically. I mean, radically. And it was horrible for me at the time. But I did a lot of growing in my faith the hard way. I did a lot of growing in my maturity the hard way. But it has paid into the rest of my life since then. I mean, that's 20 years ago, and it still has a huge influence on my life now. Like I said, when God came talking this time, it's like, I knew I could fuss. I mean, we see that in the Bible several times, not just with Jonah. Uh, I always forget who is it who wrestled with God. I do. Uh, <laughs> <what>? <laughs> oh, you no, meant uh, someone from scripture. Brett. Yeah. Someone who actually like, physically wrestled. Yeah wrestled with an angel of God or something. Right. Right. And so like the Bible's full of this. This is why I like some of the people in the Bible is like, I can relate to those guys. Yeah. I, I can relate to Peter being a bonehead and a little bit hot tempered and a little brash because that's me. Right. I mean, that's why it's part of the reason why God picked those men. Yeah. We, we can connect with them. And so I knew I could fuss a little bit, but I knew ultimately I was doing this thing. <laughs> yeah. Three years later, I still have no idea where this is going. It's not I, your I, how. Yeah. Huh? It's not your how. It's, it's not. It's, it's my, I keep doing what I believe God is leading me to do. I keep moving in the directions that it seems like he's moving the show in and what we're doing in. But I have no idea what the big picture is. It's not my game. I'm just I'm just one of the pieces in this puzzle. You're just stewarding the ship for sure. I love how you talked about how how faith grows. It grows in darkness and it grows in adversity. And uh, <laughs> Jonah made it to Nineveh. I love that. I'll, I'll sort of land the plane on that and, and and shift gears just a little because the work you do with a fallible man, as I mentioned in the in the opening, is working with men to say, you know what, we're not perfect and that's okay. The goal isn't to be perfect. The goal is to be fractionally better today than we were yesterday and then fractionally better tomorrow than we were today. And yet men are either, they don't know how to do that or they're afraid to show up that way. 
So like, if you look at the last couple of decades, I, it, it quite frankly, it's the last four at least mm -hmm. from your perspective, what's changed so much uh, about the perception of men? How have men themselves changed over that time period? And what can we do about it? So I'm actually fascinated by, uh, the, what's the right word? Uh, it's not genealogy. It's the, right. The generational gaps, right. The generational changes in people. And I actually had this conversation with a friend of mine and he explained it really well. Uh, post-World War II, we had a really big change. Because World War II, I mean, World War I was horrible and World War II was just bad, if not worse. Yeah. But we had so many men in conflict for so long over such a broad span of people, right? I mean, we were pulling kids into the draft as fast as they could. There were 16 and 17 year olds lying about their age, getting into the military. Yep. Years of hardened war. War men out and men as, as a species, we're lazy. We, we really are. It reminds me of, that's why I, I laugh about the comparison between lions, right? Men talk about being lions or whatever. Yeah. You know, a male lion is a lazy animal. <laughs> everything until it needs to reproduce or it needs to fight. Yeah. Right. That's where all is, the rest of the time it lays around and does nothing. It gorges itself. It lays there and sleeps. Right. But men are really close to that sometimes. And so coming back from World War II, women had had to pick up the slack and start to do things that men had traditionally done, right? Work in factories, take care of things around the house, take care of yard work. I mean, we don't think about it in a big term, right? But all of a sudden women are changing the light bulbs and mowing the lawn and they're little things, but they're things that men used to generally do in the household. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Women are doing them. Well, women become very territorial when they start doing things. And there's nothing wrong with women doing those things. I'm going to be really clear about that. But women were running the households and all of a sudden these guys who are almost strangers, who are battle-hardened and tired and have seen so much conflict come home and they start to do things. And she's like, wait, 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 no, no, no. I We do this on Thursdays, not on Tuesdays. Mm -hmm. We do this, right? And you're messing with my system because I've had to develop this system to carry us while you are gone. And men went, oh, okay, because we don't want conflict after that. Years of war, they don't want conflict after that. Yeah. And we've been in a series of wars. We had a period of about 20 years where we weren't in an active conflict of some kind. But, right, men come home from war and they don't want more fights. They don't want more yeah. conflict. And so generationally, right, we saw it with the generation that came back post-World War II, they're like, oh, okay, well, you do that? That's fine. I'll find where I fit. I don't want to fight with it. And their kids saw them not stand up, not push back, not right. go, okay, yeah, we'll take a background. You've got this under control. We'll just sit here. And so that taught their kids that that was part of their role. Instead of go fierce, fight, protect, We, they came back and went, oh, okay, yeah, you've got this. Right. And so that's what the next generation learned and the next generation learned from them. And even though we've had so many men and women in the military, they come home from conflict and they don't want more conflict. 
it's a whole lot easier to lay down and go, oh, okay, this isn't worth fighting about. This isn't worth struggling for, right? So now we've had generations and generations, and you've seen it really in the last four decades, like you said, where that has compounded, right? Because we've been at war for the last 20 years. I know a lot of guys who have been in Afghanistan and Iraq, and we've been in conflict for over 20 years now. Yeah. And we're seeing the same thing, right? That generation is coming back and they don't want conflict. Well, they're already backed by two generations of people who are taught this. Yeah, we don't need conflict and we can compromise and we can let this go. And this isn't worth fighting about. And during that time period, we had the second wave of feminism come in because women had had to become more self-sufficient go, well, why do we really need guys? Right. And I'm not talking like negative feminism. Okay. I understand. I have, nine nieces, I believe. I, I stop and count. I'm sure I got that number. Of <laughs> nieces at this point and only a couple nephews. Yeah. Uh, I have two daughters. I'm all for like, you tell my daughter, she can't do something. I might punch you in the face, right? It's I, I'm a proud daddy. But... In that sense, you're, 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 you and I are similar. We're, we're, we're the definition of liberal feminist because we want our girls and we want women in general to have every opportunity Right. You know, uh, available to them. So I totally hear what you're saying on that. So please continue. So now we're dealing with this, right? When I, when I refer to feminists, I'm referring to the extremes pendulum swing, right? Mm -hmm. Because we don't tend to operate in the middle ground. We're on one end of the swing or the other usually. Yeah. And so I'm talking about the extreme feminists who are like, yeah, screw guys. No, we don't need men. Right. They start coming in and pushing that rhetoric at a time where guys are just, we don't want conflict. We don't care. It's not that big of a deal. Okay. You know what? Y'all want to work in factories? Go ahead. Go work in factories. We don't care. We don't want to work there. Sure. You go do it. Right. And this has been just compounded because little eyes are always watching. So we have generations of men who just don't want to fight anymore. Followed by women who have had to step up. And now we have the extremists in that group going, well, what are we really need you guys for? Right. And so we compound and compound. And then over the last 40 years, we've seen the fruits of that. Yeah. We've seen men going, whatever, you know, women can do everything we can do now. Why should we fight? Why should we care? And that left us in this really unique place of, well, if we don't have to fight, if we don't have to provide, because a lot of women are making their own living these days or whatever, are trying to, if we don't have to, preside because that's not happening without a huge fight in our household these days because women are being influenced strongly by feminism, right? We're in the third wave of feminism, which I really don't understand because I don't understand what they're fighting for at this point. Yeah. Right. I, I saw the March in DC two years ago with them wearing hats to look like genitalia on their head. And I'm like, what are you protesting? You literally have more rights than any woman in the history of the earth. What are you fighting for now? Right. But we've seen this compound and, and men have just gotten, I hate to say it, more domesticated, tamer and tamer because we don't have, the landscape has changed. We don't have to defend our households. Well, very often, right? Unless you live in a bad neighborhood. You don't have to go work in the field for food. You can go work on a desk or you can do all kinds of things now. And so we don't have that physicality that's required of us. We don't have that protective instinct that's as required of us. And now we're kind of aimless. 
we're going, well, well, what's our battle? Men need a battle. Men need a mission, drastically need a mission in their life. And we've just gotten to a point where we've almost bred that out of men, not the need for it, but the strength of the desire to chase it. Because women have just repeatedly told us for the last four or five generations, six generations, no, no, you don't need that. No, that's not you. No, do not help me. Do not do this, right? And so now we're we're soldiers without a cause, really. It's it's kind of it's tearing at the soul of man. Because while we may have come a long way in a developmental kind of way, right? We have technology, we do all this, blah, blah, blah. But at the base of our being, men were built and designed for a mission and for certain roles. You know, you'll hear scientists argue today. It's like, well, there's no difference between men and women. There are differences down to our genes. We know this. Yes, there are differences down to our bone structure. We know this, right? This, we've seen top women competitors in their sports get crushed by men pretending to be women. We've seen, uh, do you remember several years ago, uh, it's a Serena Williams, right? Top in a league in tennis. The woman is phenomenal as an athlete. Got destroyed by like the ranked 263rd ranked tennis player in the men's division. Right. Yeah. There are biological imperatives and in our uh, advantages, sorry. Right. So, we're trying to tear apart this idea of there are differences. There are differences. There are roles that are established and we're just bombarded 24 hours a day with this nonsense. Pull up your social media feed. Oh my goodness. Turn on the news. And as men, you don't need that macho-ness anymore. You don't need to be that physical guy. You don't have to protect anything. You don't have to provide women are equal to you and everything. In fact, they're better at you than most things. And so men are, at this point in this sad state mentally because we live in a paradox, right? They tell us to be more vulnerable, more in touch with our feelings, more communicative. But the minute we are, we get lambasted for being weak and feeble and useless. Yeah. Uh, I actually sat down with my children the other day because I mean, it's re reflected even in, in like kids shows now. Because they were watching this show on, I think, Netflix. And it's a remake of an old, much older show. But the only reasonable adult in the entire series is a robot maid. The dad is complete, useless, lazy blob who's dependent on his child. And I was like, I told my daughters, like, look. I understand you enjoy this show, but you need to understand one thing. This show is telling you that parents are useless. That is the whole goal behind the show is to tell you parents are useless, particularly men are useless. Yeah. And it creates a, it, it creates a negative feedback loop. You were, you're alluding to this where it's just like, where, where do we go to really reconcile first reconcile the the paradox that's baked into the cake and then try, really trying to you know, find that mission that you know that purpose because as you were talking and i'd love to get your your take on this is that i've been really struggling with 
what toxic masculinity is. Because when you look at it on its face, and I'm not talking about you know, abuse. I'm talking about being assertive and stepping into, into the void and saying, no, you know what, I am, I am a protector. I am a provider. I'm proud of those things. And I'm, I'm going to be assertive because the, quote, battle that I'm fighting is to uplift not just men, but to uplift humanity, hopefully to look more like Jesus. And because, based on what you said, we've had the conflict worked out of us over the course of generations, showing up assertively or assuming the role of protector-provider is now labeled toxic. Am I internalizing that in, in you know, I guess correctly or in the way that you know it's um, it should be? I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong on that. Well, see, it's it's an interesting spin because what people are calling toxic masculinity, in my viewpoint, obviously, I work in the men's space. That's as professional as I can claim I am, right? As I, I work in the men's space, there's not like a certified degree in the kind of stuff I work with and do. Right. But what people are diagnosing as toxic masculinity, I would call a toxic lack of masculinity. Hmm. Because, well, let's go, let's go back to our lion, right? That's, that's about as masculine of an image as you can conjure in your brain. Yeah. When was the last time a, a lion had to announce to the Serengeti Plains, hey, I'm a lion, be afraid. <laughs> right. Right? That's right. We, we, we don't see that Disney flick, you know, Lion King roars and everybody bows, right? Everybody's like, oh, yes, you are the boss. Lion doesn't walk around going, hey, I'm a lion. Be afraid of me. I'm a lion. And it, it doesn't pick on people needlessly. Like I said, lions are lazy. Lions will ignore you and ignore you and ignore you until it decides you're a threat or dinner. Especially male lions. Well, I, I got to work in the space around a lot of special forces guys. I mean, some of the most, uh, what what's the proper terms, right? Alpha, Sigma, male, I am just a beast, right? Jordan Peterson would say, you know, become the beast. Well, these guys are, Monster. are That's the, right. the real deal, right? I don't know many of them who stay in the teams who actually walk around and go, yo, I'm a Navy SEAL. Except the guys who are all getting contracts now. Like it comes with being a Navy SEAL now. I think you just got like a Hollywood contract or something. But, right, I knew guys who are Green Berets. I knew guys who are in Delta. None of them walked around going, hey, look, I'm a badass. Oh, sorry. I don't know if I can swear. I apologize. <laughs> um, right? They don't go around and, hey, look at me, look at me. They don't have to defend themselves or justify themselves to say, I am the scariest person in this room. I would kill you all. They don't walk around doing that. They don't have to. Right? Masculinity comes with a sense of confidence. Real masculinity, being secure in yourself, being secure in who you are and your capability comes with a confidence that alleviates the need to prove that to other people, that alleviates the need to want to display that or flash around. And so you see these guys getting aggressive, right? Well, A, they have no outlet for their aggression. They haven't been taught to funnel it. I had anger issues when I was in junior high. I split wood. 
I split a lot of wood. Uh, my dad basically just set it up where I could split wood all day. And then I string up pallets between the fin and fence and the woodshed and just take a one and a half inch lead pipe and just go to town, just shatter those things everywhere to make kindling with them. It's how I got my anger out when I was having some anger issues. I was taught to find a safe place to put that, right? That then later moved into the gym for me. I'd go in the gym and hit the weights. And if that wasn't enough, I'd hit the heavy bag afterwards, right? It gave me a constructive place to put the anger that men deal with. Men deal with anger a lot more than even some women do differently than women do. We process it differently, right? We need an outlet. But you see these guys running around doing things like this. Oh, uh, have you seen those horrible sucker punch videos where guys are just yeah. randomly walking up and waylaying somebody and you're running off? Yeah. I'm sorry. That's not masculine. I don't no. care if it's a guy. It's not masculine. I've never felt the need. Let me rephrase that. When I was younger, probably. Since I left the military, I have never felt the need to just walk up and hit somebody where there wasn't a, a cause and B where I couldn't go. Nope. I'm not going to do that. Right. There was discipline. There was control of that anger and assertiveness, but we, we call all these things, right. Men, men harassing women and randomly picking fights. And this isn't masculinity. This is a lack of masculinity. This is the result of you taking away the need and purpose of these men. We've, we've hobbled them, but the problem is you can only hobble something so much. It's going to come out. Right. Yeah. And now it's coming out in unhealthy forms because we have these guys who have no respect for people anymore. They have no respect for consequences. They've gotten away with everything their whole life. I like to make fun of the generations of keyboard warriors that video game has brought in, brought us where, you know, it's, it's very clear. They, they've never been punched in the mouth because they could run their mouth behind the keyboard without fear. Right. right? When I was a kid, Hey, you ran your mouth. If you couldn't back it, you're going to know, right? There wasn't a hiding behind the keyboard. And so I would call it a lack of masculinity. What we need, what will help fix things right now is the essential masculinity that men are meant to have. Men who are masculine lead. Men who are masculine make a way. Men who are masculine deliver and protect and stand up for the weak. It's ingrained in our DNA to protect those that are weaker than us. All you have to do is watch people in a split second before they have time to think about something. Men instinctively protect children and women. Why? Because it's hardwired into us. That's masculinity trying to show up. Yeah. For far too long, we've just said, no, no, that's all bad. And now we're paying the price for it. Yeah. That's really powerful. As, as we, as we get to the end of our conversation, I'm, I'm wondering if you could share starting points. Like if, if you were ad advising uh, a man that is, is struggling to figure out how to show up better for themselves so they can show up better for the people that come into their world, where would you start? Are, are, are there a couple of steps that can be taken? Is there a singular starting point? How would, how would you advise or mentor that man or young man? My, my first advice is start. 
Mm. Most of us fail right there. So good. (laughs) The majority of people never show up to start even. They, they have these ideas. They have these feelings like, oh, something is missing. You're right. Something's missing. Oh, man, I should I should go to the gym and start taking better care of myself. Go to the gym. Go. Don't think about going to the gym. Go. Right. Uh, they James Clear addressed it in Atomic Habits really well. He talks about a story where he had a client who for like six or eight weeks, the guy just drove to the gym every day. He didn't go in, but at the same time, he drove to the gym for like six or eight weeks and he established this pattern of going every single day to that location. Hmm. After that, he started going in for five minutes at a time. And it didn't matter what he did. He just went in for five minutes and he left and he did something. He grabbed a machine. He did whatever five minutes and he left. And that went on for several weeks. And then he started expanding that, but he made a habit to show up and be there first, right? Most of us miss that starting point. We don't think about all the decisions involved when we make a decision to do something, right? We think about learning a new skill or taking on that diet and losing some weight because a lot of us are a little thicker than we should be. Uh, We think about starting to work out, right? We think about these ways to make ourselves better. It's like, man, I want to be like every man listening to this right now, close your eyes. I promise you, you can see the man you want to be in your head. When you think about, man, who, who am I going to be? Like you can actually see that man in your head. Yep. You know what he looks like. So the starting point is start, just start, make a decision and start small. Don't like, like the guy from atomic habits, Don't say, hey, this is why New Year's resolutions fails, right? People who have never worked out in their lives decide they're going to work out four days a week. That's right. That's why 80 or 93% of New Year's resolutions fail in the first three months. (laughs) That's statistics in America. 93% are toast, right? In three months or less. And it's because they bite off more than they can chew. You were talking about fractional growth earlier, right? That's one of our biggest things here at The Fallible Man is incremental growth. When I decided I wanted to start taking control of myself better, I decided I was going to walk. So on my lunch break at my job, I could eat at my desk while I was working. So, cause I had a, a desk job. So I would eat at my desk and then I'd take my 30 minute lunch and I just walked. I put music on in my ears. I just walked around my building. No goal. I just walked. Yeah. It didn't matter how far I went. I got up out of my desk and I went and did it. And then I started building on that. Right. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to try for three laps today. It's big building. I'm going to try for four laps today. Right. I got up to where I was walking two miles and 30 minutes around my building. Wow. Wow. And then we made this jump from music at about halfway through that to, I started listening to audiobooks. but I didn't listen to like, random audiobooks. I started listening to self-help audiobooks. I started listening to business audiobooks. I listened to a lot of finance audiobooks because I was at a time in my life where I realized that my financial knowledge was lacking. Right. But it was that one first, it was just getting out and walking. Then it was increasing how much I was walking in that time frame. not adding more to like, Oh, I'm going to walk morning and night now. Nope. Same time frame I had already allotted for it. I just chose to try and go a little faster this time, right? 
And it's like, hey, while I'm doing this, instead of listening to music, I could read a book, actually. Huh. I, I missed audiobooks for so many years. I wish I had discovered them sooner. I, I was always a hard per- book person, but man. And there are some books you can't do audiobook-wise. It just doesn't work. Sure, but right. I started listening to audiobooks, right? So now I'm putting in mentally while I'm already established a habit to do this. So pick one thing, guys. One thing. That's That's the only challenge today. Pick one little thing that you can do tomorrow to make a difference, to start moving towards that image you saw in your head. Yeah. One thing. That's all you got to do. Small, small. Okay. Set your alarm 30 minutes earlier. Go for a walk on your lunch break. Decide I'm going to read five pages tomorrow of a book. Yeah. Pick one thing, one thing that leads you towards that image. Start there. That's so good, Brent. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, and I love it. It's a call to action. And it, it was funny because I, I wrote those words down uh, earlier today, call to action. And we, it, it's so funny with words and phrases, we just sort of let wash over us without giving a lot of oomph and significance to. But I, I love how you, how you said it. It's like, just start, just start. And because I, I think what, what God wants m- most for us is to look more like Jesus and in order to do that, we have to be as integrated of, uh, of a human as we can physically, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. And that advice is genius in its simplicity. So thank you so much for, for sharing. And thanks for, thank you for taking time to, to be uh, a guest on, on the podcast. How can people learn more about you and your work? I am... Uh, I'm, I'm actually stupidly easy to find because I'm everywhere. Uh, <laughs> you can go to my website, thefallibleman.com, www.thefallibleman.com, or I'm at thefallibleman on Instagram, Twitter, Wisdom, Good Pods. I, I'm at thefallibleman everywhere except Facebook. Then I'm the then I'm fallible man at Facebook because I didn't know anything about Facebook when I set up my page. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops, I've tried to change it to the fallible man multiple times. They Facebook. won't let you. Won't no. let me change it. It's like, really? Really? Um, but I accidentally messed that up when I was setting that up. So I'm fallible man on Facebook and I'm at the fallible man on every other major social media. Got it. Uh, but the easiest place is you can always hit me on the website. There's contacts forms there, or you can email me at info at the fallible man.com. And I respond to those pretty quickly. But we're, we're here, man. Just, you come look for us. I promise you'll find us. That's awesome. Brent, thank you again uh, for your time. Before we wrap, would you mind closing us out in prayer? Absolutely. Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity and, and for this ministry and service that Ed is providing. And Lord, I thank you for all the men and women who are listening to this show today whether it's today or tomorrow or whenever they hear, I thank you for all of these people who are choosing you and choosing to further their relationship and explore their relationship with you, Lord. And I pray that you will take my feeble words and this conversation with Ed and you will take it and touch someone's heart, Father. That it will touch their heart in just the right way that you need it to, that it will serve you 
in the ways you need it to, because this is all about you. It always has been. It always will be. You own the fallible man. I know you own this podcast and we are just here trying to take others along with us towards you, father and Lord. So I just pray that you will take these, this time we've been together and use it to your will and your goal, father. And through Jesus name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Brent, thank you again. Really appreciate your time and words of wisdom. Thank you. God bless. You can contact the show at it's not my credit to take.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless.